The following episode contains adult themes as well as mentions of sexual assault and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion be advised. Welcome to the Black Boy Blitz podcast, a space where we discuss our lives and experiences as black and brown men and what keeps us going. Sit back, relax, and take a listen as we delve deep into the complexities that make us who we are. This is the Black Boy Blitz Podcast. Hey, beautiful people, and welcome back to the Black Boy Blitz Podcast, where the voices of black and brown men can be heard and experienced. You see how I swish that up a little bit, you know, for the 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I am your host, Johnny, and I'm here with your other hosts, whom I'll let introduce themselves, because apparently they're a grown man, so take it away. Uh, not apparently. Apparently. <laughs> What's up, everybody? It is Gary, the other half of this thing, and I just want to let y'all know that Jonathan called me a Prosecco ho yep. before we started this. So disrespectful. But, but why did okay. I call you that? Because that's what I'm drinking. Not just today. But <laughs> every day, <laughs> every day. <laughs> so um, today uh, it's going to be part one of our season finale. The season's coming to an end already, but we're not going to get all emotional just yet. But um, yet. Uh, we're going to talk about something that I was a little apprehensive on talking about. Um, and that is sex. Good old S E X. You, you, you're a little bit too excited about that. <laughs> well, I mean, if you've been doing COVID and quarantine properly, then most people probably aren't having it. I mean, unless they are quarantined with their partner or partners, then by oh, all means. Um, Very true. <laughs> but, you know, the conversation is going to be um, uh, our experiences, especially being, you know, black men as well as black queer men. I'm just talking about the intersectionality and all the the ups and downs, uh, literally, of uh, sex. So uh, just keep things lighthearted to start off. Um, Gary, so what are your favorite words for sexual intercourse? For sexual intercourse? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have a special word for... You have a favorite so- word? Like, if you... Let's say hypothetically, let's hop on BGC, you know, this throwback, and you about to hook up with somebody. You're mm-hmm. like, hey, girl, I'm about to go fuck somebody, or like. Yeah, it's. Um, listen, I did not do the new lingo. I'm curious to have sex. We're going to bust nuts. Like, it's not. <laughs> this is. What I new lingo have... are you talking about? What do the kids I... call it these days? <laughs> what they call sex? Yeah. Fucking, it ain't changed. <laughs> Not much has changed. I don't hear them say it's just a lot of new lingo, like when it comes to, like acronyms and yeah, like DTF. Yeah, you know what you own, WIO. I'm I'm a slide through. That's what I've heard a lot. A lot is I'm a WYO. Why everybody abbreviate everything? I don't know, but that's what they say. <laughs> time for it to go down. Back in our day, you know, to initiate sex, we would say, um, what you doing or uh, what you into, you know, real creep about it. 
they've cut all the corners. Oh, <laughs> mind you, we were cutting corners back then too, and they cutting even more corners. I personally, I enjoy the word fuck because it's a swear word, and I like cursing. Um, if you all didn't know that out there, um, hunching and yakking are, are terms I heard when I lived in Florida. Uh, yakking is just and hunching is just hilarious to me (laughs) but one term that I used when I was really really young like elementary school was juicing like that was the Mm. word like ooh they juicing I don't know if it's a Chicago thing a Midwest thing but yeah back in the late 80s early 90s um but see, that's the problem. Yeah, using real life things, situations, and actions to describe some nasty sex. Who the hell would call sex juicing? But do you get it? Do you get I it? I do get it. Exactly. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I mean, speaking of like back in the day and when we were young, um, let's start about, let's start here. Um, did you ever get the bird and the bees talk? Or, like, when did you first get that talk, if you got it? I never got the birds and the bees talk. My parents never talked to me about sex. Really? Never. And I don't say that judgingly, because for me as well, I never got that talk. And I I really, you would see it on TV, but I don't think that was an actual thing that happened. I don't think it was either. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I don't, it was almost like they had to catch you doing something or... Exactly. It should have to happen before someone wanted to have a conversation. But I never had, it was never brought up in my household with me and sex. I think for a long time, my parents, even though they knew knew I was gay, I think for a long time, they just thought I wasn't a sexual person. I don't think they assigned sex to me in any kind of way, gay, straight, or whatever. And so it just never came up. And we'll get into that later, but I, I feel like the the talk would come in later years around like 14 or 17 when you would get that whole, you better not bring nobody here pregnant. That's not the sex talk. That's just saying, don't get nobody pregnant, you know? Yes. <laughs> and I remember growing up, um, especially like in a bowling alley, I would be around all my play aunts and uncles and adults are weird, especially when it comes to, to black boys. I remember, um, being around my father and one of his friends said, hey, man, you grab that boy of yours, give him a bunch of condoms, let him go to town. I'm like, I am 14. <laughs> like, why are you sexualizing children like that? Like, what is that going? What's the purpose? <laughs> right. I guess the purpose is not to have no kids. I don't know. It's just it's weird. I guess, it is. I guess that's the purpose, but it's almost it's just very de- in hindsight, it's just not the healthiest way to encourage young men. Because I think one of the issues, especially with young men nowadays, is, is that the, they lead with their body parts. They mm-hmm. lead with sex. And I think it's one of the one of the issues that we have around, like being a man in general, mm-hmm. especially being black, is our body parts and how they're objectified the way. And most men don't want to talk about it that way because it seems sensitive or whatever, but it's like, no, I mean, <laughs> why can't you have a different conversation about <laughs> sex besides men, besides throwing condoms at them? And this, it's this weird, um, I can't, I can't even find the words for it. It's just weird. Like you teach, you, 
little boys are taught to lead with their penis. Little boys yeah. are taught to be like hunter and gatherers, even when it comes to like sex and, and partnership. Yep. Yet women are taught to be like meek and, and keep the, their stuff to themselves. It's, it's weird. So I can only imagine having a son and a daughter and having them like programmed in those ways. Like what do you... What do you what are you teaching young young boys and girls? You know, it's yeah, it's a it's a strange thing. And then I think it was one of the reasons why we have such an issue just in our community. Well, first of all, talking about sex, um, and then like being in relationship mm. with with people. It's like it just all becomes it's all stems back from those kind of conversations and how we remember sex being shaped at an early age. <laughs> yeah, and, and that that's the thing. Like, we were never... For, for us that did have that talk, I don't, I don't feel as though the birds and the bees talk worked. Well, I can't yeah. say that. I think it was very one-dimensional. It's like, this is sex. This is what happens when you have sex. This is the purpose of sex. But there's no real, real like, relationship talk. You know, no. it's always just like the sex, which is weird to me because children, sex, like, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's very interesting, you know, especially when it comes to like how as, as young men are manhood and boyhood and masculinity are shaped. And one of the main things it's shaped by is sex, even yes. at the, the the earliest of ages and and i think it's trash when when i think about like my my uh girl cousins and we will be at family reunions and just to see how like other family members would sexualize them in efforts to like protect them like you know she getting thick over there she shoulders wide like 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 a mama like that's weird (laughs) it's very weird and it also it also makes kids self conscious, right? Very about their bodies and about what's happening to them, and does it doesn't allow for a lot of freedom. It's so much shame, JJ, around sex and how we should feel and our body parts. All this shame and stuff that's placed on us at a young age, and I, I sometimes feel like we ever grow out of it. I don't think I grew out of it until my thirties. <laughs> Listen, I still haven't. If you ask me, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the process. It is, it is. And you know, a lot of us were given the talk, but it was indirectly. You know, like I had mentioned before, like with manhood and masculinity, you know, or like play uncles and aunties or actual aunties and, and uncles. Um, do you think there were any like rules that you were taught about being a boy or being a man that like affected your views on sexuality? Honestly, no. And, and the only reason I... I'm an enigma in that way. I, I sort of just grew up in a house where I was I was really able just to be who I was. Um, and there was no, there was nothing necessarily put on me about me sexually or anything like that. And it could be also because when I got to my teenage years at that time, I started really getting involved in church. And so they probably thought I was like the damn Dalai Lama Christian man running around not having sex with anything. Um, so there was never any that kind of placement put on me or conversations about sex in that way at all. JJ, I don't even remember. I remember porno tapes, my mom and dad's porno tapes. Oh. My, <laughs> literally, that's my earliest memory of information 
as it relates to sex. And I found that shit early. And I'm talking like six or seven. Listen, and and I have a story about that in a little bit because we're going to get to porn. <laughs> yeah, I found it earlier than that. But yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that a, l- a little later. Um, when I think of... Um, like how my like my manhood and masculinity was shaped at an early age. Surprisingly, I feel like it was shaped more more by my mother than my father. Mm-hmm. Um, because my mother was more direct with it. And when in retrospect, she was it was abrasive. Um it wasn't subtle. It was like, you're a boy. You should be doing this. You're a boy. Why are you doing this? You're a boy. Why are people telling mm. me that you did this? Um, as far as my like my father, I think the lessons I learned from him as far as like being a man or, or manhood and masculinity, they weren't taught. They were shown to me. So I was I was a very observant person I was very observant and then go and study on my own and my father was someone I like looked at just to see how he moved around and now um, I learned very valuable lessons um, but I also realized there are some things that I carry from my father that I should have sat down a while ago Um, do you feel as though there were any like a parent, a a mother, a father that were more enforcing of like your masculinity or what a boy should be or do um, than the other? It was definitely my mother because I feel like that's who I was closest to growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, And because my dad was like very straight laced, hardworking, like, like, like just a very, my dad didn't have, my dad was just, working and taking care of his family so when it came to like i would say that is a huge that was a huge thing for me like growing up and hearing languaging around that i just always was taught like men are supposed to have jobs and take care of things men are supposed to always be working men are supposed to always have money and so i always equated that with like being a man and like being able to take care of myself and i have to ask anybody for everything i would say that's interesting that you bring that up now like that that did shape my view of masculinity because now even at my age now it's like that's how i've defined (laughs) manhood that's how i define like being able to take care of myself was like a huge sign of masculinity in my household and around me i you know what i battle with that because that was messaging that you know um i took in as well especially from my father but Mm -hmm. it was also a message of overworking there we go. And mm-hmm. and working for yourself. Um, and just a little history, like I don't, I've never seen my parents in love, mm-hmm. which is so odd because I'm the youngest of what used to be 10. Um, it's nine of us now. Um, and I'm like, I know they fucking, they had to, all these damn kids. <laughs> and they had been they had to have been fucking since like 60, 80 because I'm 36 and I'm the baby. Like, but I've never seen them hold hands or be like affectionate to each other. And as I'm older now, I sometimes I sit back and think about how that's affecting me now. Um, Because on the opposite hand, 
I I saw how what I thought was love between my parents was like manipulation and control and like verbal and emotional abuse and I and and I I pulled some of that with me as I got older because again it's that messaging it's like grow up to be a hard worker but also grow up to be an overworker you know Mm -hmm. everything has to be a struggle or it's not worth it and I think that's so damaging on 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 so many so many levels um but yeah I love that you put that on there about overwork um I don't think there was a lot of messaging about taking care of yourself as a man I don't think there was a lot of that it was like you take care of what's around you Mm. you know don't don't go to the doctor and so that don't even bring me up about that with like talking about sex like std testing like we don't even want to go to the doctor for, you know, <laughs> I never saw my dad. go. My dad was forced to go to the doctor, mm-hmm. Jonathan. So it was like, that's a whole nother layer of nuance. I never even thought about um, this fear of the doctor and what they're going to say. Um, but that's layered too, because as black people, we have, you know, all the right to kind of be iffy about the medical field and doctors, you know what I'm saying? True. But, but, you know, sticking with the subject, I understand it like overworking and, you know, we come from a people who we had to heal ourselves. So, you know, if it wasn't vapor rub or ginger ale, you know, sleep it off <laughs> or yeah. you know, pray it off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even to this day, like I have older parents, like I need y'all black asses to go to the doctor when y'all not feeling right. Immediately. <laughs> like immediately. Um, so, like, we were talking about how, you know, we really weren't, well, we weren't giving the birds and the bees talks. Um, yeah. What about sex ed? Did you have sex ed at any point in school? Nope. I didn't have sex ed either. GG. Well, you know what? I, did. I, 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 I didn't realize how common it was not to have sex ed in school until about 10 years ago. I was going to say, did you have it? I did. Um, I did, but it wasn't like sex ed. And I had it, I want to say my junior or senior year um, of high school. It wasn't sex ed. It was like the week of sex talk in health class. Got it. And it was very, this is a penis. This is a vagina. You know, it was very we're going to give you the terms or we're not really going to dig deep into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember conversations about reproduction, right? And so the penis goes here Mm -hmm. and this creates this, but it was never a conversation about the part and my association and connection to it. Right. And I think that's sort of the layer piece that's missing with a lot of us is like, it's a dick, but it's connected to a human being and a person and with the history and the past and problems. And it's a vagina, it's an ass, but it's connected to a person. And I think that learning about it in a way that was like, this is a body part is is really dangerous. But I do remember like conversations like that, but never like an actual course. But they, they glossed over it. It was like when, when Sally loves Billy, they start fucking, and that's it. There's never really a talk on like the John, love did they part. Say fucking the, I mean, I mean, we grown, you know. I'm, okay, I'm I some corners, you know. <laughs> what do you think? Like, if you're familiar with 
how sex ed has been taught recently, and I mean recently as in like the last 15 to 20 years. What do you think is missing? Um, I'm not familiar with how it's taught now, um, but I think that kind of the point that I was telling you before, I don't know if there's an emotional uh, component that's being taught with sex education or sort of your ownership of it, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, even though a woman is having sex with a man or a man is having sex with a man or vice versa, whatever, it's your body. And I think a lot of times that body, the ownership of your body, I think is missing in a lot of this stuff. And we sort of feel like we have to sort of give it away in all of these times when we don't really have to. Um, and so I wish that there was an emotional component talk talk to when we talk about having sex with people i just wish there was a little more conversation around that instead of what the body part does right right i just i felt like sex ed was um was one of those courses just to check off a box to say that you were taught sex ed and the the crazy thing about it is from what i remember everything that needed to be talked about was mentioned but not talked about so, like I said, like Billy and Sally love each other. We don't talk about the love. We talk about what's next, sex and children. Um, there was no consent talk. There was no casual sex talk. There were pictures of STDs and STIs. There was no pre and aftercare talk about it. There was no talk about testing. You know, I, I think about like the, the rules and the laws now, like where all you have to do is be what, 12 or 13 to go get a test by yourself. You know, we, I'm pretty sure back then that was probably the law and we're somewhere around that age range, but that was never, that was never taught because what I think was present in sex ed and that's present in a lot of things in this country is this um like church and state bullshit because on the other hand with sex ed we were taught abstinence Mm -hmm. (laughs) and directly through the lens of a bible right but it was vilified It, yes, it, exactly. It, it was like, what you mean you're not having sex? You know, it, you lame? Like, what's going on? So I really think what needs to be missing is that separation. Uh, what needs to happen is the separation between church and sex. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that there is just some uh, enough trauma and things connected to religion and how what it says about our, well, our bodies and how we feel, there's too much trauma connected to that to be taught in an educational setting in that way. Um, and we need to start taking more ownership about that because uh, it's, it's dangerous. Like, abstinence is a tool. It's yes. not like it's wrong, but it's, it, it, it can be taught without using religion. Exactly, <laughs> because <laughs> abstinence is one of those keys to the, to the pearly white gates. Well, it depends on who you ask. Depends on who you ask. Right. But um, but that, that takes a while to get out of when you think about sex. Like, that's the only time you should be doing it is when you're married. And it's like, huh? <laughs> yeah, which is... 
which is a mind fuck because that that was something that um I was also kind of taught. Yeah. Um, but then I'm like, again, it's ten of us, <laughs> like, and we all don't have the same parents, even though we were all raised by the same parents. Yes. So I'm like, so does this not count for y'all horny asses? Like, you know, <laughs> it, it it's just really weird. But like, as a child, like, what did you think relationships and sex would be like as an adult? Um, I I always like so. I knew that sex was going on one because my parents were very touchy feely people. Like my parents were like, when you brought up the point that you had never seen your parents really love each parents were all over each other. It's like oh, it was a damn hood love story. I love that. Um, <laughs> so they were always all over each other. You know, you would hear sex sometime. Like yeah, I was the only kid, so I saw and heard a lot. Um, so I knew that sex was just an exp- I thought, especially for my parents, that sex was an expression of love. Mm-hmm. Like that is just a way you express yourself and love someone. I think when I got started going to church and like that middle road in my teenage years, it sort of was warped because not warped because I still saw it as a tool, but I started saying, Oh, well, I'm never going to be able to do this shit because I'm never marrying a woman. <laughs> uh, I mean, so it was, so it was this idea that I will never be able to use this level of expression in any way because I'm never going to be able to do it the right way, if you will, quote unquote. So I think for me, that's what it was. it's hard to explain because as a child I knew that it would be wrong for me to have sex unless I'm an adult right that was my whole thing Um, but I think the messaging that I received and like through my parents interactions through sex ed through my own exploration and and me being like a bookworm and wanting information about everything i felt like there was a disconnect between pleasure i always felt like sex as an adult would be for a specific reason or function whether it be to uh, procreate or just because, like, you're in a relationship that you have to have sex, like it's a chore or something. I never got the messaging um, that you could have sex because of love or because of lust, because you're horny. That was never the thing. And even um, what we'll get into later when it comes to porn, um, even seeing porn, I, I, it was still disconnect when clearly it looks like they were having some fun, even though <laughs> porn, specifically straight porn, to me sounded like murder. So it was almost yeah. shocking. <laughs> it, was, it, it was shocking. And for a while, I was like, are they really having fun? But that enforced the whole thing of like, it doesn't seem like they're having fun. It must be because they have to have it. Because that's what adults do. They do it because they're adults, not because they want to or because they're horny. You know, it just uh, it just yeah. seemed like a function of it. Um, 
Speaking of pornography, um, let's go. <laughs> let's go down Jonathan's embarrassing childhood corner. Um, <laughs> so, for some reason, my uh, mother and father like telling people this story of the first time I saw porn. And when I first heard this story, huh, it was literally in a crowd of people that were not my family. So um, my, <laughs> my father used to like these African themed pornographies. And apparently like when my mother used to work um, like the later shift when I was like around two or three years old, um, my father would like put me in the crib and then he go and watch his tape, call it a day. So apparently one day in 1987, I um got out that crib and I guess my father was watching one of these African Bombada porns and, <laughs> and fell asleep. And the next thing he knows is my mother like slapped him on the back of the head and was like, Otis, Otis, look at your son. And the tape was playing, and I was licking and humping the TV. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Lord At three-some years old. <laughs> and my mother's like, you were on rhythm, too. <laughs> and I'm like, well, apparently that message did not take because... Uh... <laughs> but yeah, that's my porn story. That was the first time I encountered pornography. Uh, when do you... When, can you remember the first time you encountered pornography or porn? Uh I can't remember the exact time, but I do just remember uncovering my mom and dad had a wonderful collection of porno tapes. VHS porno tapes. How do you know it was both of your parents and not your mother's or your father's? Um, was it like in a common area where both of them have access to? It was in their bedroom. So I just assumed or that. that, yeah, that it was theirs. It could have been one or the other, but I assume it was both of theirs. Um, but yeah, I found their little tapes, and so I would sneak and watch the tapes. But they they didn't hide it; like it was sitting there next to a VHS of another movie. Like the the shit was just up there, and so it's like, well, I'm popping it in and watching it. <laughs> I used to uh, when we weren't able to afford cable, you know, we would like turn a channel ninety eight, which was Cinemax, like late at night, mm -hmm. and you know it'd be staticky, but every now and then that picture straighten up. <laughs> and like you'll see a titty like just be sitting there just creeping trying to find something something um can i circle back to something though um what? and you said that like it was the pornography was out and open like your parents really didn't hide it yeah it no, wasn't hit how do you think they reconciled that specifically like your mother knowing like how religion how religious they are do you think that was well, a battle? You know what I'm saying? Like, no, my but my parents are religious. That's right. Yeah, my parents are religious. Your cousins I, made you religious. Yes. Gotcha. And so my mom and dad, that was free house. I mean, free thinking. This is Adina Howard, little Kim. Come on, uh, you know, come on. The icons. This is, this is what I grew up with. I grew up with really young parents. You know, my parents were 19 and 22 when they had me. So, oh, wow. There was no real, like, they were just had shit everywhere. It was <laughs> weed, was there, 
I just grew up around stuff was just readily accessible and available to me, which is why I think as I got older, I just wasn't phased by people sort of having access to this stuff because I grew up with a lot of it around me, like at an early age. So I don't think it was under reconcile. It was just like, yeah, don't go in there touching that shit, boy. And they knew, I think they knew. That but they didn't lock the door. Or but they didn't the lock the door. <laughs> exactly. But I think that's also can be a form of reinforcing like masculinity and malehood. Like don't go watch those porns, but they right there. If that you is come very across true. them. That is very, very true. And I, the fact you bring that up, I've never even thought about it that way, but it could be. What, you know what? That, that's also interesting seeing how like your household was such a free loving and open household. And you said Adina Howard and little Kim, but you still didn't get that talk. Have you ever tried to like reconcile that or like try to figure out why were my parents these big ass freaks? <laughs> but no, I never really questioned it. I think because I was on my own personal journey journey of unfolding, I knew that whatever kind of conversation we were going to have about sex, they weren't going to be able to have that with me <laughs> because of I, your sexuality. Because of my sexuality, my parents knew I was not sleeping with the woman, and so I think. And if I asked my mom today why she never did or why he or asked my dad, I think they would say, I'm I'm assuming they would really say, we knew he wasn't going to sleep with a woman. Like it was never brought up to me in any kind of way. Um, and all, everyone around me was sleeping together. All my friends were having sex. All the people in my church, the teenage, they were all having sex. But it never came up in my household as it related to me. Wow. What what do you think porn taught you that you weren't taught by like your parents? Um, I, I think the so first of all, like the moaning and noises and stuff. Murder. <laughs> like it was just. I think it. I don't know what it taught me, but I just knew it was always this sound that I thought that just sounds really uncomfortable. <laughs> uncomfortable. It sounds really uncomfortable. Um, the act looked great. The men and the woman probably look great, but the, the 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 type of screaming and shit, I was like, this doesn't sound comfortable at all. <laughs> uh, porn absolutely scared me. <laughs> Even like again, murder. Um <laughs> um even when I got a glimpse of like gay porn, where there was like videotapes or magazines like you said it just looked really really uncomfortable and it seemed like a chore and not fun or um pleasurable right it just seemed very like robotic nasty but robotic (laughs) yes which is probably why I like amateur porn now, but that's a completely different story. <sighs> listen, listen. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that um, maybe like our views on porn and the porn that we saw put us at any risk when we did decide to start having sex? What um, so you said, what, what we saw in porn, how did it impact us like when we did start having sex? Yeah, or even even when we were consider considering, you know, at a young age to have sex, do you think porn like warped anything or gave oh, us yeah, some fucked up views? Sure. Oh, for sure. I think definitely as it relates to size, 
especially when it comes to the male part, like a bit like a huge dick. Like mm-hmm. when you're when you're receiving that type of messaging in porn and hearing like in social settings, people talk about it. You know, I, my mom was a hairdresser, so I grew up around women constantly talking about men. And it was always this this correlation between how much how much of a man someone is and how big their dick is. Mm. Um, I think that that impacted me in a way. It, it affected me in a, in, in a really interesting way because I thought, well, damn, if you don't have a big dick, then it, 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 maybe the sex isn't going to be good because in most um, porn, the dick is like this nine, 10 inch thing. So it warped your view of just like, it warped my view personally of size, especially as it relates to men and um, in the bedroom. You you know what? I would piggyback off that. I think the first, like the first porn that I remember seeing, minus, you know, the African Bombada, Black is King porn, apparently I was watching when I was three, um, was like white porn. So I think what happened was when I saw a real black dick, <laughs> I yeah. was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Like, who is, how? Like, how? Again, murder. <laughs> um, but for me, I think the size thing was more of when I get older, of course my dick's going to be that big. Because, I mean, yes, all right. black men's dicks are big, you know. Yeah, that, and yeah. that's what I was thinking. So I had something to look up, you know, look up to. And she, is, listen, that is just not the case, okay? It, take it from us. And I don't know about Gigi, but I've I've seen plenty of dicks. Um, <laughs> um, so I want to talk about something that, for me, was an integral part of, like, my young sexual development. And that was things like um, the party line. Uh, mm. AOL chat and even okay. like local cruising now the party line is legendary even to this day um, there's still a party line and the crazy thing about it is I got on the party line I was like 12, 13 and mm. to this day I still remember that phone number <laughs> I <laughs> still remember that phone number do you have any experience <laughs> with the party line or AOL uh, M for M chat rooms? No, I did not even, I didn't even start engaging uh, with the men in that way. Well, I didn't lose my virginity and start having sex till I was like 25. So when you start talking about chatting with guys in a sexual manner, I kind of did it when I was 18 or 19 or like BGC or the BGC. Yeah, stuff like that. But I never was like on the chat rooms and the cruising and stuff. That was like never a part of my journey. I was out here being fast. Listen, fast. You hear me? <laughs> you know, I when I think about, you know, the chat rooms and the party line um, and local cruising, I'm grateful for a lot of things in my life. But between the ages of like, honestly, like 11, 12 to like 16, mm-hmm. 
it almost brings me to my knees because the specifically the party line. Okay. In retrospect, I put myself in so many dangerous situations meeting yes. meeting um people off those uh off those lines. Um and even to this day, I um I can remember a lot of them. I remember um there being local gay bars at like 13, 14 years old, um, going outside to like hang with my friends. And I would just circle mm. the gay bars. And every time I did, like in all honesty, I would end up in some older man's like backseat of their truck or like the truck bed of their pickup truck, like wow. going to town. Um mm. I remember one time specifically meeting someone off the the uh, party line, and I couldn't have been more than oh fourteen or fifteen, maybe younger. And the plan was he was going to pick me up, and we were going to go have sex. And I remember him dropping me off at some other guy's house. And I ended up having sex with that other guy. And from what from what I understood, it was a good it was a good session. Was, okay, you know, um, yeah. but again, I was young, and they were they were at least in their forties. But um, I wonder, I wonder, I I'm intrigued by this like this sort of affinity you had with like was there ever a sense of danger? As you think back then, was it about was were you did you enjoy this kind of like sneaky behavior? Was that the joy in it? Was it the sexual pleasure? What was that about? Like this sort of because to me it just sounds dangerous in general. Mm -hmm. But did you ever feel like you were putting yourself in a dangerous position? So I never thought that I put myself in the dangerous position, um, and I didn't do it for the danger. I did it for the sneakiness of it. Mm, okay. Um, and to uh, get back to the story, I, after I had sex with this this gentleman, this man, um, the other guy that dropped me off over over there came and picked me up, and he was driving me home. Um, and by the grace of God, there was a red light and um, a blue line stop because he started spazzing out on me, like spazzing out. He was like, I don't know what to think. Like, you have me drop you off over my friend's house and you fuck my friend. He's like banging the steering wheel. He's like reaching under his Ooh. under his seat. And I just remember saying, I'll leave. And I opened the door and I ran across the street to the train station. I think that was the moment where it felt dangerous. And, Got it. and and that moment really hasn't hadn't hit me until like maybe ten years ago. Like because even then I felt as though it was just par for the course. Like I'm a young man, I'm smart, I know how to do the sex. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's just par for the course, you know. Um, because honestly, after that, that didn't stop. That didn't stop me from doing anything. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. And even though around that time I had access to a community of young gay people, I still felt as though sex 
is supposed to be had with adults. So I never thought about having sex with young young people my age. It was always the party line, the chat rooms, or me, um, excuse me, uh, cruising. Um, But as I got way, way older, I'm like, damn, Jonathan. (laughs) Like, (laughs) damn. And when I think about it, I put myself in, whew, Shit I wouldn't do now by any means. I I remember um, meeting, uh, meeting another guy off the party line. And him and I were, um, I don't want to call it together, but him and I were messing around um, for almost a year. And all we would do is he would pick me up like four blocks from my house. Um, and we would go to this park reserve and we would just sit and chill in his car and like jag each other off. It was never any, mm. anything like penetrative. Um, but this man was also married to a woman. Mm, um, okay. I was underage. Um, I was brought to his house. Like he brought me to his house. I had sex in this woman's bed. But not, not penetrative sex, but we messed around this woman's bed when she wasn't there again underage you know um this was also a man that would make fun of me saying i needed rhinoplasty my nose is too big he was also a man that said that he loved me um that shit was vile (laughs) like even thinking about it like now it it wild wild um i remember one of my aunt's best friends hitting on me when I was like 17 and him and I like going, I don't know how you go on a date with a a 17 year old and you like 40 something. Lord (laughs) Um, have mercy. Just like wild shit I used to do. Um, But a lot of that was, you know, youth. A lot of that was ego because yeah. again, you know, I was a researcher. I was a bookworm. I knew how to do the sex because I researched it. But again, I was never taught the connection, like relational aspect of having sex with people. I was never taught that these old ass men should not be having sex with me. Yes. Um, and for years, I would, I would like kind of defend them. Um, yeah. Because again. I knew what I was doing. Like nothing bad happened to me. Um, instead of calling what it was, you know. Um, so yeah. And what was that? A when did you finally start calling it what it was? Is that a recent thing? Yeah, like maybe like yeah. in the last five years. Yeah, like the last five years. Fair. Okay. Because um, you've had some experiences out here. I have, I have. Um, but all you listeners out there, listen up. Listen, because what's so interesting though is what you what you're describing though. They're doing that shit now in an even more dangerous level, right? Yeah. It's like almost escalated. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and the dangers are out there. But again. It even plays into politics when you think of sex work and having to uh, survive. You know, when I worked um, with young, gay, trans, non-binary youth, 
a lot of it was survival sex. Mm. So, you know, it's it's sleeping with these older men or not having a place to sleep or anything to eat. And I definitely, I would never fault them for doing that. But again, that's just a structure and a system that isn't built for young, black, gay, queer, trans, non-binary people to survive. Right. Like on their own. Um, yeah. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> um, and I, and, and I kind of, I kind of like went into the next subject, but virginity. Yeah. When, uh, when did you lose your virginity as you know it to be? your virginity if you don't mind um disclosing that no i kind of already shared it i uh i kissed my first guy at what 18 wait do you consider that lo- losing your virginity no, that, no, is, was, that is sweet if it is. no i do not consider that losing my virginity uh but just thinking about the history of it like uh kissed my first guy at 18 and i didn't lose my virginity until i moved to dc and i was 25 years old was that on purpose? Or was it, it was like a, a reckoning? Like It um, was, I wanted to get the shit out of the way. So you didn't do it for pleasure. You wanted to get it out the way just so you did it. I was horny. I was attracted to the guy. But I think I was still holding on to some of those, uh, some of that dogma that was that I was sort of taught about sex and how I was only supposed to be in the confines of a marriage um, and it was only supposed to be to make more kids, not to, I knew nothing about sexual pleasure. I knew nothing about what I wanted my body to feel like, like those kind of things, like even masturbation was taught to me to be sinful or that I, I wasn't, I was supposed to be able to control that and like control it because God was not pleased or unhappy. Isn't that and sad that like, we are just not taught to feel pleasure it's so terrible. And I did not recognize it until my 30th birthday. And I was like, damn, I've never had like a nice, I've been having sex, but I've never like just did this because I wanted to, and I wanted my body to feel a certain way. And so I just did it to almost as an act of rebellion. Like mm-hmm. nothing's going to happen if you take this dick or give the dick, like <laughs> no one's going to die. Like life isn't going to like fall apart. And, so that was for me it. And so then I sort of spent time like debunking like all the other stuff that was connected to it. Like, no, it's okay to pleasure yourself. Like, so my most of so it became that journey for me after losing my virginity at 25. What about you? Even though we already know you was busting it wide open. I listen like a <laughs> banshee. Um, my um, first times uh, was with one person and when I say like my first time I mean penetrative sex and that would be Mm -hmm. me being penetrated again I was 14 and this gentleman was 36 37 Mm, and he so my my father owned a business um, at this time and uh, it was like in this little strip mall and I would like I would I would go to school, get off the bus, and I would walk like four blocks, maybe four or five blocks to the um to my father's shop and just sit and chill there with him until it's time for us to go home. And I remember one time going to McDonald's and I'm walking and 
this white truck jeep was just cruising like following me mm. like circling the block and for me i at first i'm like why is this truck like following me um i was scared at first because the windows were up i couldn't see in and then like the third time um handsome black gentleman rolled out his windows and his name was victor and he lived like damn near behind my father's shop and 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 he cruised me we exchanged numbers um i had a little cell phone with some prepaid minutes then that's when cell phones first came (laughs) out (laughs) um and i think maybe a week later uh I was my father's shop on a weekend, so I didn't have any uh, school or anything. And I went over there and he penetrated me. And it was one of the most painful things Mm. I ever felt. (laughs) Cause now in my mind, I was like, also, it really does feel uncomfortable and it's really not pleasurable. Um, You know, it was just confirming a lot of things. And for the good part of like six or seven months, maybe eight months, Every time I would go to my father's shop, I would find a way over there. Um, and what I didn't know now, what I knew, uh, what, I, what I didn't know then that I know now was that he was grooming me because I remember the day that I stopped having sex with him. Um, I went over there. He wanted to penetrate me. And I was like, I'm not doing this. Not at all. Mm. Um, and he got a little bit upset. And again, absolutely blessed. I got my shit and I left. As I'm walking down um, his stairs, because he lived like in a, a, a townhouse, like a two flat brownstone, I'm sorry. And as I'm walking down the stairs, his cousin is walking up. So come to find out later, the plan was to was for me to have sex with him and his cousin and them record it. Mm. Um, and that was the last time I ever saw him. Um, and that was, that was 22 years ago. Um, so that was my first time. Um, and, and, and the crazy thing about it was he was bold. Like he, yeah. he found like my house phone number and called my house at like nine o'clock at night and my mother answered the phone. Not mama. And I don't even know how I got out of that, but I didn't like, I wasn't on the phone. Like I didn't, I'm like, do not call me. I'll call you another time. I don't even know how, I got it that ass whooping, you know, <laughs> I, yeah. you know, I, I don't even know how I finagled that, but I finagled it. Um, and the next time that like I had penetrative sex was with a boyfriend of mine. Um, that I was with like almost two years, um, in high school and it was, it was decent. It, it was decent. It was decent. Again, he was, he was an adult and I was not. He was in college. I wasn't. Um, uh, amazingly kind, broken guy. Um, 
but it was sexual assault. He shouldn't have been having sex with someone in high school. That was he was when I met him. He was eighteen or nineteen, and I was a junior in high school. So, um, and God rest his soul because he actually passed away earlier this year. Mm. Suddenly, okay. um, and throughout the years, I I never had any issues with him. Never. Um, we were still kind of in contact. I would randomly see him out. He would randomly message me. Um, but yeah, he passed away earlier this year. Uh, but oh. yeah, that was my first time. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Listen, I I just think it's a it's just a note that um like I would have never me and you were close, but I never thought that you start like it was that early and with those kind of experiences. Um, I was just always scared. There was just always this level of fear around me around sex that sort of just kept me very like. Was I it the think, sex, or was it the people you're having? You uh, would have sex I think, with. It was just so much. Honestly, I probably need to go to fucking therapy about it to uncover exactly what what it was. It was fear of being found out. It was mm-hmm. fear of not being good at it. Right. It was fear of all these different things that you know like i just didn't know about it was like so let me just not do it mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it kept me just out of out of it um but you're like you're sort of i say reckless but i'm not saying reckless in no it was reckless <laughs> yeah but it was almost a sort of you weren't afraid to express it and like act on it which i find now i i I found that, like, where did that come from? That's crazy to me. Where did the recklessness come from? No, this, this the, like, first of all, yes, you had the sexual desire, but you didn't have to act. What was it? Because it was available. It was like, yeah, let me go ahead and do this. Like, oh my God, it was back then. It was even now, but back then it was so available. Okay. <laughs> it was so easy. Um, It was a bunch of things that, help me make those decisions me again you know i was an amazing student and for me it was like i'm grown if i get straight a's you know like i just knew everything um you know i wasn't a bad child i never really got in trouble i was very responsible um i just felt as though i was unstoppable unbreakable and also you know also my home life wasn't the best, so anything that would get me out of the house, I was here for. And that was one of those things that were readily available for me. When I tell you when okay. I tell you it was easy to find somebody to hook up with on those party lines and those chat rooms, easy, easy, Gary. And I took advantage of it fully, fully. The funny thing about it is one of my my best friends in the world, known him since Jesus, 98, 99. That's how I met him. <laughs> I like I literally met him on the chat line. And we dated for like two months. <laughs> Whatever you want to call dating between like an eighth and a ninth grader. Um <laughs> but it's one of my best friends to this day. Um mm. but yeah, the chat party line was where it was at and them chat rooms was where it was at too 
wow. Live it up, Jay. Well, never mind. <laughs> when, like, when you think of like passionate sex or like love making, when do you think the first time that that happened? Um, you know, for the, I, I, I think um, every partner I've been with, I think it's been passion there. Um, so I would probably in DC and we'll, we would let him remain nameless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of the things I enjoyed about my sexual experience with him was it felt free. And mm. when I say that, it was sort of like, we were both sort of new to it. We didn't know whether we liked really being penetrated. We didn't know whether we liked being a top. We didn't know whether we liked oral. And so it was this beautiful way to explore one another that occurred and happened that felt like we were teenagers, but as adults. And so gotcha. it felt just, it was the shit. Like it was just like, and I still think that's how sex should be. I still think that there should be this level of exploration and freedom and conversation involved with it with your partner. But it was the first time I experienced that with him. I've never made love to anyone that is to be continued and to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've all of my sexual encounters with partners that I've been with have been very much so very passionate. Um, and I feel very comfortable and safe in those experiences. But lovemaking has not happened yet. What about for you? I've had some amazing sex as an adult. Um, I've loved men or what I thought was love or felt was love during those times. Mm. I don't think I have yet. I don't think I've had like a like transcending sexual moment with another person yet. Again, I've had amazing sex with people. But I don't think I, and and I've loved people. My most recent ex, and by most recent I mean from seven years ago, was probably the one person I've had, like we had the best sex to me. Yeah. Um, Sexually, we were just really, really connected. I still feel as though there was the connection wasn't all there. I, th- I think it was more of we connected so well sexually and that's why it was so good and that's why we did it a lot. But outside of that, you know, um, yeah, I don't think I've I've had that connection yet. I don't know if I'll have it. Well, I well, damn Debbie Downer. I was just gonna say that <laughs> I, I, I think that's an opportunity and a level of optimism. Like that excites me that there's still something to experience, right? I think some, like sometimes we get so caught up on, like people will be saying, like, damn, you ain't had made love by then. It's like no, but there's still life to experience. There's still experiences to be had. Even though I've had all this amazing sex in the world. I can look forward to maybe one day having like that kind of transcending experience. Exactly. JJ. And we're like, <laughs> that is, we going to get there. <laughs> we are going to get there. But you know what? I think we should take a little break, you know, refresh our drinks 
Pause uh, for the cause. Pause for the cause, and we can continue this conversation. Yay, yay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Black Boy Blitz podcast as we follow the lives of black and brown men and what keeps us going. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and SoundCloud. We can also be found on Twitter and Instagram at Black Boy Blitz Pod. And if you feel up to it, leave us a review or a comment. Tune in next time as the conversations continue. Peace.